Digest. This is episode 28. And on this week's episode, we're going to be talking about a pair of films from acclaimed director slash child rapist Roman Polanski. It's going to be huge. We're talking Rosemary's Baby and Repulsion, two of his early films. Should be an interesting convo. We'll get into it. But let me first introduce my co-hosts, Travis. Hello and welcome. Hello, thank you for having me. Mm-hmm, of course, and Paris, hi. Greetings and salutations. Are you recording uh, uh, in an airport right now? Or, uh... From the freeway. Oh no, <laughs> I forgot to close my window. <laughs> as soon as you unmuted, it was like you were a fucking like, oh, no. news reporter on oh, the scene. No. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> hey man, I'm here from Arrivals at SeaTac. It is a madhouse out here. <laughs> That was amazing. (laughs) So that was Paris while she closes her window. Um, Yeah. So, Travis, why don't you uh, tell the listeners a little bit about uh, your picks? Just uh, dying for a rewatch? Did you want to introduce some controversy into the equation? What what was the rationale? Hmm. Well, you know me. I love my director double features. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, been known to do that in the past on this show. Um, I mainly wanted to rewatch Rosemary's Baby, and I was either too lazy or not creative enough to come up with a better pairing, so I just copped out and um, picked another Polanski horror flick that fit with Rosemary's Baby. I think -hmm. there's some parallels between the two. Yeah. Yep, they're both set in apartments. They uh, both have female leads and are full of terrible men slash people that surround the uh, the main character. Deals with like paranoia and some other stuff. So I think they fit together. But mm-hmm. yeah, the main reason was uh, really wanted to rewatch Rosemary's Baby, and uh, the main reason for that. Besides, you know, it just being a while was uh, I wanted to check out the Cursed Films 2 episode on Rosemary's Baby, which I also did for this show. So did you get the rewatch in before you watched that episode or did you watch the episode first and that made you want to watch it? Uh, I wanted to watch the movie before I watched the episode. Mm-hmm. And see. that's what I did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, very cool. So we're going to start with Repulsion. So chronologically, uh, it did precede Rosemary's Baby. So I do think it works uh, as a lead up to Rosemary's Baby. Um, Let's just get into it. I'm going to go ahead and read a plot synopsis real quick for Repulsion. This is a 1965 film. And uh, this was Roman Polanski's first English language uh, feature. Uh, the plot synopsis 
a sex-repulsed woman who disapproves of her sister's boyfriend sinks into depression and has horrific visions of rape and violence. Directed by Roman Polanski with an original screenplay by Polanski and uh, his screenwriting partner, Gerard Brock, adapted from uh, a David Stone novel. Uh, The film stars Catherine Deneuve, uh, who is a famous uh, French actress. And I think, I don't know if it was the only film that she had done before, but the year before Repulsion, the one that kind of put her on the map, she did uh, The Umbrellas of Sh- Cherbourg. I'm probably saying that wrong, but uh, French uh, musical drama love story. It's good shit. So, Catherine Deneuve, uh, Ian Hendry, John Frazier. Yvonne Furneaux, not really actors or actresses I'm super familiar with, but there's your cast. Uh, Repulsion. Let's go ahead and kick things off. Travis, you want to go ahead and uh, lead off the conversation? Sure. So uh, first time I saw this was back in October of 2012, and I gave it four stars, but don't really remember anything about it. Nothing really stuck with me. It was probably like... In one eye, out the other, you know, slap a free pass, four stars on it, and move on. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, I wanted to give it another go to see if I would, you know, get more out of it or maybe it would stick with me more. Um, I think my star rating now is more in line with how I truly feel about it. Um, I do like the movie, but I am far from loving it. I like what it's going for and like the main through line of this character who is basically dealing with PTSD and um, yeah, you just kind of see her descent uh, into like paranoia and yeah, just basically she's like losing her mind in this apartment over the course of the film and it deals with like sexual repression and stuff and you kind of get little nuggets of that throughout the movie. Um, But I think the reason why I don't love it is I think it's pretty boring. Like it just, a lot of the runtime, I'm just not really invested with what's going on. I think part of it may have to do with the, the time it was made and then also partly due to it being like a lower budget independent movie. Like, even when it's trying to be thrilling, I, I didn't find it all that thrilling. It, it almost felt kind of cheap. But, again, I think that's partly due to its... Partly due to the times in it, its budget or constraints. Like, um, I don't know, like, anytime there's, like, a moment of, like, shock or terror, it just, like, turns up the music and maybe does, like, a zoom in or something. And, I don't know, it just didn't really, like, get me. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, it being boring and then just, I don't know, like, didn't really have much of an impact. And I guess we can spoil stuff, but um, maybe I'll wait to do that. So, yeah, I mean, there's things I like about it, but I'm mostly in the middle on it. I don't think it's as great as it's maybe um, it's like hyped up to be. Sure. As its reputation uh, yeah. suggests, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of the more uh, beloved Polanski films. This and Rosemary's Baby, I would say, are, and Chinatown, obviously, are uh, definitely 
beloved films from him. Um, I'll, I'll piggyback on you real quick just because I, f- I feel like I have similar thoughts. Um, this was a, a rewatch for me as well, and my first watch, like you, was, was a long time ago. I would say probably, I don't know, eight or eight or nine years ago at this point. I don't recall just how long ago, but it had been a while. Um, and I agree. I, I There are things that I find interesting about it, but overall I found it to be pretty dull. Um, the one image that stuck with me from the first time I saw it was the hallway scene with the arms, like grabbing her as she's mm-hmm. moving through it. And again, that's still probably the only scene that really sticks with me, at least visually. Um, I just, I, I find the rest of it to be rather dull and I'm not going to call it amateurish, but you can definitely feel the low budget and it doesn't have some of the, um, flourishes that Rosemary's baby has, which was, you know, just a few years on the, on the heels of this movie. So I will say on a positive note, I think Catherine Deneuve is, is really good in the movie. I like her a lot. Um, and there's other things that I'll get into, get into as we kind of move into it a little deeper. But overall, I, I would say not, you know, not impressed. <laughs> regarding Catherine Deneuve, I think she does a pretty good job in the movie, like performance wise. But given the like type of character she is, it's kind of hard to follow that type of character who is like pretty much mute the entire runtime. Yeah. And I had, uh, there were issues for me of feeling like, why? Like, I don't know. There was a part of me that wanted to know more about why she was so apprehensive around men. Like, and I, not to say that I wanted to see like a flashback scene where she was like abused or like, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily need it to be explicit, but there was a part of me that was just like, why though? You know what I all mean? You like, needed, <laughs> all you needed was a photograph, Matt. Oh, the I hate that trope. Picture's worth a thousand Oh my words. God. When that, I had forgotten that's how the movie ends and I was like, God damn it. <laughs> um yeah, so I I want to dive a bit deeper into that later, but first I am very curious to hear your thoughts, Paris. Um, and I guess if you could maybe start by just uh, your familiarity with Polanski as a director. I mean, had you ever seen any of his work? I mean, obviously you know him by you know his reputation in that he is uh, you know a convicted child rapist on who's been on the lam for. 50 years at this point but um i'm I'm curious was this your first experience with polanski and and then kind of uh segue into your uh how you felt about this one sure um so other than you know like you said the child rape and that he was sharon tate's husband um i didn't know and and that he was a director i didn't even know that he directed and like, I didn't know what he directed. I didn't know that he directed Chinatown or Rosemary's Baby until doing some research for this episode. Um, I mean, obviously before, duh, I knew he directed Rosemary's Baby and Repulsion. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but I will say uh, I, starting with Repulsion, I just felt 
like it was too like cinema magnifique for me. Like I just <laughs> <laughs> I just felt it made me feel dumb. And not in like a it, I think it was too smart for me, but I reckon I when I watched the trailer for this I realized that one of my favorite YouTube channels, Cinefix, um, has uh, had repulsion on a bunch of their lists of like top 10 things and really interesting things where they'll show clips from it and talk about it. And then I was like, oh, okay, it's probably going to be really like heady and stuff. And then I was like, or I just don't, I don't know. I just didn't like Travis. I was pretty fucking bored. I... Uh, I kept having to push myself to watch this because I knew I wasn't going to enjoy it. Um, <laughs> and I was hoping that it would, that it would surprise me. And ultimately I think it didn't. Um, one thing is I did look up and apparently the main character, Carol, she has um, androphobia, which is a pathological fear of interaction with men. And I'm like, girl, tell me about it. <laughs> but I really <laughs> But I feel like the movie kind of like you guys were talking about, it, it almost doesn't do quite enough to explain it. It leaves it so open for interpretation that I'm like, okay, but like what is even happening? And I felt that obviously she's an unreliable narrator, but to what extent and it just didn't feel interesting like some of the other unreliable narrators we talked about more recently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess it's just like there's not really a, at least that I could identify. Maybe I wasn't as engaged with the film as I should have been, but I didn't really find that there was like a specific catalyst for the like escalation of her behavior like I know there's a conversation I think it's the lady at the salon she makes a comment about how you know it's basically the meme you know men only want one thing kind of thing to have a conversation about how you know men are okay, that dogs was, basically that was like, so <laughs> funny when she said that she said men only want one thing and I was like is this where the meme comes from <laughs> <laughs> so I was like and then from there like that's kind of where it starts to get like her behavior starts to change a little bit, but then I was like, it can't, it can't just be that, right? Like, I don't get the impression that she's that sheltered. Like, she's had a job. Like, I don't know. Like, I just had a hard time. It was just a yeah, little too is, ambiguous for me. I is guess. there anything that specifically triggers it? Because one of the or initial things I can think of is when she like overhears her sister having sex in the other room, and like maybe just hearing those sounds mm -hmm. like triggers it because. It doesn't really seem like she's, I don't know, it doesn't seem like she's necessarily dealing with it at the very beginning of the movie, but then that kind of triggers it, and then it's just like a descent from there. I think mm -hmm. that her sister leaving to go on the trip, I think that that's what triggered it, kind of being alone with her own thoughts and devices, and not, like, her sister would be there to be like, hey, are you going to work today? Where she like didn't show up for work for three days, very isolated, no one to talk to. Her sister Artie... was kind of a bitch, though. I would have wanted her to leave. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. Like, I don't. What do you What do you mean? What I I don't know. Her sister came off kind of as a bitch to me. She didn't to you guys. Well, she. I don't know. Like her. 
her I don't know if I would describe her that way. She just like She's just French, Travis. Yeah. Right. <laughs> this is the French way. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm trying to think of a specific thing. I mean, I guess that at the beginning of the film she's making that like, you know, duck dinner and then the guy comes over and he's like, "Forget that. We're going out to dinner." And then she just kind of like leaves Carol yeah. on her own, but she wasn't like explicitly rude about it. Like, I don't know. I, I more so just viewed it as like her treating Carol as like a kind of clingy little sister type of thing. I mean, wouldn't you be annoyed yeah. if your fucking virgin sister was just like hanging onto your dress all the time, like not letting you, you know, bang your hot boyfriend or whatever? I'd be annoyed too. I see. I felt bad for it, the yeah. The whole the sister. whole bitch comment was more of a joke. We don't really need to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> Travis, I really am curious why you would uh, call her that. <laughs> no, I. Yeah, well, Paris, I felt, you were saying that. Yeah, I felt bad for the older sister with that scene because it clearly this man who is married to another woman, like, came in two hours before he said he was going to be there and was like, stop whatever you're doing. I'm taking you out. We need to leave now. And everything was on his schedule. And she was just supposed to drop her whole life, even though she was making him this huge dinner. And I thought that more played into the, like, I guess what I think the theme of the movie is, which is men are bad, I guess. I don't know. Well, using that as a jumping off point one thing that i find troubling about repulsion and and rosemary's baby is that here we go uh, you know i mean they both feature (laughs) young women being raped by older men i just it's really hard like Film, film in particular, the conversation about separating the art from the artist, film in particular is interesting because so many people are involved in the making of a film, right? So it's a little different than like an author or a musician, but Polanski directed it, Polanski adapted the screenplay, so it's just like I can't help but view these two films through that lens of knowing that he is a predator and it just... Is a no. little icky, I guess. Like, I'm not going to hold it against the film, per se, but it just makes me feel kind of icky that, like, a big part of both of these films is, you know, violence against women, particularly sexual violence, when we know that he, like, drugged and raped a 13-year-old girl. You know what I mean? Like, it's just it's hard for me to not, like, address that when I'm watching his work. I you know? am not defending... Yeah, I totally get what you're saying, and I'm not defending him, but I will say for the point of this discussion is that both of these films were made before the incident mm-hmm. or incidents. Yeah, and I I think it's I think it's actually really interesting because both in Repulsion and Rosemary's Baby, I think from a viewer from an audience member were really meant to like be disgusted by the sexual violence. We're, we're meant to really feel for the female main characters like we see that and we go oh my god i can't believe that's happening and the and and you feel for them and it's 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 a lot of sympathy there and i think the the films definitely take that angle and it is interesting to look at it from that lens where it's almost like i wonder 
and if this is this is kind of a dumb thing because we'll never know this, but I wonder if he was trying to like almost make up for his own like sexual proclivities by like making th like the the sexual violence in his films happen where you feel like this is awful and this shouldn't be happening. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, what I find especially interesting and also particularly infuriating more so about Rosemary's baby, but I think there's an argument to be made that the films could be viewed as feminist, especially Rosemary's baby. So, because yeah, Rosemary's Baby is essentially like gaslighting the movie in a sense, right? So it's mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. both of them have female protagonists. So it's like it makes it even more infuriating knowing that, you know, what this man did basically. And it's fair that he made the movies before that happened, but that doesn't mean that it hadn't happened before. Or it doesn't mean that he hadn't thought about it. Or like Paris said, like, for me, it just feels like he kind of has a fascination with sexual violence. I mean, it's the same thing with Woody Allen. Like, Woody Allen's movies oftentimes feature him being the romantic lead with a very young woman. You know what I mean? In the romantic mm -hmm. role. So it's like, I understand that, you know, the, the crime that he was charged with occurred after the two movies were made. But this is something that was produced by this man who committed this crime. And it's hard it's hard not to like think about it watching the movies. It's the same well, reason why I have a hard time watching Woody Allen movies now. Because I just like, it just creeps me out. Because you can see it, you know? Like the themes that he, you would think he's trying to like represent, his actions speak otherwise. And that struck me with, with these two films. I guess more so with Rosemary's Baby because there's like a, you know the drugging aspect of Rosemary's baby is like, really like that's a little bit more uh, cringe, I guess, but I find it very interesting. Yeah. It's definitely weird. Cause yeah, I mean, seeing these two movies, you would think he's, you know, an ally or an advocate or whatever, but then <clears throat> based off his actions, you're like, well, what the fuck? So then <laughs> you have mm -hmm. to try and like figure out where he's coming from or, you know, why he was, interested in telling these stories but then to later basically act like one of his villains in his movies or whatever um it's very weird mm -hmm. but um <clears throat> he i'm not i'm not defending the guy or excusing his actions um but he did have kind of a tough or he has had a tough life i mean some pretty crazy shit happened to him like he survived the holocaust i don't know if his parents did and then his wife was murdered with his, or yeah, his pregnant wife pregnant was murdered wife with murdered. his child. So, I mean, yeah, I'm not <clears throat> excusing his actions or trying to like, you know, sympathize with him or whatever, but it's just, he has had kind of a crazy life and he's probably dealt with some trauma that none of us have ever dealt with. I think the best way of putting it is that Roman Polanski is a <clears throat> complicated figure and uh, you know there is certainly some merit to his art but you know his experiences don't uh uh you know his his hardships and his uh very tough childhood don't excuse his his predatory behavior i guess is ultimately what needs to be right. said and in, in, in about well, that you know 
so I think that I like like Matt like you were saying like I think that if there was nothing to be gained from his work then we wouldn't have been watching these right right we he's not just some said, jobber who raped right. a kid, you know like he's <laughs> right like he, like I I think that this is really like separating the art from the artist in a way that we did watch these even though I was I mean I was pretty like uh, I don't want to fucking watch that but I know that rosemary's baby is a horror classic like of course and repulsion is like a film cinema classic and i think that these are important watches i think it just goes we it would be we would be remiss to not mention like he's also a child rapist who never served time for what he did so right it has to be a part of the conversation and it has to be a part of his legacy, like however much like credit right. or credence you give to the art that he produced, you can't, you know, you can't just talk about how amazing of an artist he is and not, you know, it would be irresponsible to leave out the fact. I mean, the fucking Oscars gave him a best director award in 2003. You know what I mean? Like the guy had been on the lam f- for raping a child for decades and they still fucking gave him the highest honor the you Oscars can give a director, are garbage you know? that's a different conversation right you know not, um, <laughs> but just saying like you know there's uh, you, you it has to be like I feel like for so long like I didn't know that about this about Roman Polanski until probably college you know like we they made us watch well made us we watched the pianist in high school you know like that was part of a, class, like a history class we watched the pianist and it's like it was never a part of the conversation until much later i mean it's hard to say you know obviously i wasn't a you know a film critic or connoisseur oh my in the God. 80s and 90s so i can't say i didn't but. know the pianist was by fucking roman polanski too yeah uh, you guys yeah. He's made some good movies <laughs> oh my god that's so annoying sorry <laughs> it's really just the pits i did i did want to say though just in terms of like less with you know he who shall not be named um and more with like our podcast in general it feels like and i don't know if you guys have been experiencing this too but like with hor- with the horror films we've been covering it feels like we just like can't escape the sexual violence and I'm wondering if if there is like like there is something there with like how much horror is also tied in with not just physical violence but like sexual violence against women especially. Yeah, I mean, I do think obviously it, it manifests in different ways. You know, there's especially in the past, I don't know, I would say decade or two. There's been a, a resurgence of like female created horror films that like do center around sexual violence, but you know, are about taking the horror tropes and like taking this trauma and turning it into violence against, you know, perpetrators of violence. I I think a movie's like revenge and um, even going all the way back to, um, God, what's that movie? Is it Last, Last House, House on, on the, the left? left? Yeah, Last House yeah. on the Left. Um, so, I mean, it manifests in different ways. I think part of the problem is that for the most part, it's from like a male gaze perspective where it's like 
not necessarily a concern that violence is being committed. It's more so about, you know, seeing a chick with big tits naked in a shower before she gets, you know, stabbed or okay, raped or whatever. Matt, okay, here's You know what thing, I mean? Though. Nothing wrong with seeing a lady with big titties in a shower. I think no, that... Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I think that it's all about context, right? And I actually was curious uh, for... This is for you and Matt and Travis. Um, do you think Promising Young Women falls in this is a little off topic but do you think that falls into the horror genre of this kind of similar like feminist but with sexual violence type movie yeah and is that horror um uh, there's there's elements Mm. of of horror and promising young woman i don't know if that would be like i don't know if i would describe it as a horror film but i do think it fits in the like i don't know it's like horror adjacent i guess for sure yeah it's missing like those like clear like horrific imagery or like i don't know even like the atmosphere like there's really nothing that feels horror to me but there is like a thriller mystery aspect of it and there's some horror movies that are on the lighter side of horror that we consider horror that are like more of the mystery thrillers so I, yeah, I think it's like fringe horror, but I wouldn't necessarily think of it as a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk real quick about the end of Repulsion before we move on. So we, we, we brought it up, but the the final image of the movie is like super close up shot of the camera like moving through the apartment so you see like a fucking like Ritz cracker broken on the ground and like a broken picture okay, frame I also it's noted like... the cracker I was like what was that <laughs> <laughs> It's so there's like it, that's the lead up to a picture and then obviously it zooms in on the picture and it's a picture of Carol as a young girl staring at a man who I don't know if we're meant to if we're meant to I assume think that's is her, her father. father or you know uncle yeah. or whatever, but she's got like a look of disgust on her face, and it's I don't know like how did you guys read it? Obviously, it's ambiguous. One could read like was there some sort of like trauma that she experienced at the hands of her father? Is it just meant to indicate that she? has always had an aversion towards men. Like she's always been repulsed by men. Like, is it that simple or are we supposed to insinuate that the reason why she is the way she is, is because like she was raped when she was a child. Like how did you guys read that? Cause it's super ambiguous and I guess you can really make it as graphic or as literal as you want it, as your imagination wants to make it. Right. I think she was sexually abused and that's kind of the whole purpose of the movie. Um, if she always had this like aversion towards men, then I don't really feel like the picture, like the photograph is necessary. You know what I mean? Like it, that would, I just would be agree like with part that. of her character. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, if it, if she has always been that way, like I don't necessarily think that the movie from like a character perspective is that interesting. So for me, it, it doesn't really make a difference whether she has just always had an aversion towards men or if she had a traumatic experience as a young girl, like either way, it doesn't really 
impact. No, but my point saying. is, is that I don't think they would need to show the photo unless that was actually the case. Yeah, I agree that I think that, and some of the stuff I looked at about it, like it seems like it's a dad or an uncle who there was probably some sexual assault. I assumed that in those scenes where she seems to be sexually assaulted by a man that just like appears in her apartment, I was assuming that was her reliving that sexual assault by like an older family figure that were that's kind of like revealed. Although that photo was shown earlier and even again when like the landlord picks it up. I don't think it's supposed to be subtle. I think we're really supposed to be like, yep, that's what's it. Goodbye. <laughs> right. It, yeah, I mean, we do see it at other points in the film, but it really makes a point to, like, zoom in super close on her face so you can, like, really see the the look that she's given the guy in the picture. Yeah, it's almost, like, framed where, yeah, the the photograph is just, like, zoomed in on so you can only see those two people in the photograph. Right, like, the other faces are, like, obscured by, like, shadow or, like, damage to the picture yeah. or whatever or something like that. Yeah. Yeah like huh huh you see that <laughs> but it's like my my immediate reaction to that was was ugh you know That's like it. we've seen this a million times but then i also think okay well this movie was made in 1965 like right had yeah. i seen it before this i don't know you know what i mean yeah like, I, was, I was gonna bring that up like um i can't think of any great examples off the top of my head but i feel like we've seen a lot of movies like this that have been done better and so yeah, watching this now after mm-hmm. seeing all those, it kind of fails in or pales in com- comparison, and so it maybe doesn't feel as like important or groundbreaking as it maybe once was. But yeah, I'm sure seeing this in the '60s, it was definitely more impactful. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, any more, other thoughts? More shocking, at least. <laughs> right, than it would be now. It, it almost comes across as like corny or something, like yeah. to a modern audience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay any other thoughts before we move on to rosemary's baby now we'll give star ratings obviously but any other uh foots notes um yeah real quick in regards to the ending um i do feel like the ending kind of wrapped up a little too quickly and it wasn't very that it wasn't that satisfying when she just like turned into a murderer i don't know where else the story would have went necessarily but Mm -hmm. it was just like I don't know. She just got deeper and deeper, like into her madness, and then she like cracked, killed the guy, and then it like wrapped up shortly after that. It felt like, yeah, it's it's it feels unsatisfying to like her to experience these hallucinations, and then for the culmination to just be like she snaps and bashes a guy with a candlestick, you know, and like yeah. puts him in a bathtub. <laughs> also, that candlestick scene I thought looked terrible. Like, cause you, the camera yeah, orientation is like from the perspective poorly, of the guy being bashed. Poorly like, blocked. Like, yeah. Really like the, the blocking and the actual action. And that is like, I get the time, but even just comparing it to Rosemary's baby, like it, it did not hold up for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just like you, you see her swinging the candlestick and it's just like, you see her arm moving so slow. It's just like, I don't know. It negates any like impact that that movement movement might've had because it's just like choreographed so awkwardly. And I don't know. I mean, I guess it be probably thought that it was like a novelty or something to like force that perspective, but it comes across as like being kind of dumb. <laughs> yeah. And maybe at the time it was, it felt more visceral and whatever. Cause that, 
I mean, this was post-Psycho. So, I mean, I guess. But, I don't know. I don't really know how successful this movie was or was not upon release. Like, I know Polanski was, like, hot shit after Rosemary's Baby. Like, that was kind of the main thing that, like, blew him up. But... Yeah, he was hot shit. Now he's cold diarrhea. Yup. Okay. Anything else for stars? No. Think I'm good. Okay. Um, I'll go first. Initial watch. I gave it a 3.5. I think I'm going to go ahead and give this one a three. I'm going to do three. I am at a three as well. 2.5 2.5 for me. Ah, oh, damn, Paris, you're a hero. I thought about doing 2.5, and I was like, I don't yeah. know. The, the I thing... was between a 2 and a 3, but honestly, I just, at the end of the day, I didn't really enjoy it. So Yeah. that That's uh, that's what I keep coming back to, is the fact that I just was so bored for 90% of the runtime. It is kind know? of repetitive, too. Like, beyond just being kind of slow? Yeah. Also repetitive. So repetitive. Like, this could have been a 60-minute movie. Like, Yeah. <laughs> and that's, really? that scene with the landlord went on way too long. Like, when he comes to the apartment and he's like, you know, you know, we can make this whole rent thing go away if you can take care of me. Like, <laughs> I was like, this scene does I... not need to be this long. <laughs> See, and I actually kind of disagree with that because I felt like really? the tension and the ramping up made you really feel. I mean, like that, that felt very real. That felt very like she's in this like vulnerable position and there's no one there and this is their landlord. And like it, it. I that I I will disagree with you on that point. I feel like that needed to be slow and move the way it did because it felt very accurate. I think the rest of the movie, like her walking up and that guy talking to her and her walking around, like I didn't need any of that. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, her just kind of being mute in different backgrounds of scenes while things were going on, and I was like, why? Why are we here? What? 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 Uh, context does this bring like i don't know matt's just saying that was a tired setup for a scene i mean we've we've seen that setup a million times am i right mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah but also this movie came out like 50 <laughs> over 50 years ago like maybe this was one of the first times we that saw was that a, scene set up that was a porn joke for people who weren't uh catching on oh, that's me i wasn't catching on <laughs> Yeah, oh, like he's like, I know how to pay your rent, and then they have yes. sex instead of instead of her being upset about it. I get it, right? It's or funny. yeah, you know, her he, him coming in and her being like, you know, under the sink, like trying to fix the pipe, and he's like, <laughs> I know how to lay down some pipe, and she's like, I thought oh, she really? would, I thought she was gonna be stuck under a bed and go, help, help, I'm stuck, right? Just her bottom part laying out. Oh, oh man. All right, let's let's go ahead and move on. So let's take a quick break. Okay, I'm gonna go uh, murder my cat real quick, and then uh, <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> okay. All right, so we are back. Let's go ahead and move on to the second film in our Roman Polanski double feature. This is Rosemary's Baby. Plot synopsis. A young couple trying for a baby moves into an aging, ornate apartment building on Central Park West, where they find themselves surrounded by peculiar neighbors. 
directed by Roman Polanski, written for the screen by Roman Polanski from a novel by Ira Levin. Film stars Mia Farrow, John Cassavetes, Ruth Gordon, Sidney Blackmer, Ralph Bellamy. Killer cast. Um, so, Rosemary's Baby. Um, Paris, you want to start things off? Sure. Um, when I say at the top, I was very pleasantly surprised by this movie. I really have a hard time with movies of that time. Often they don't quite resonate with me, but I really, the more I watched it, the more I enjoyed it. I was especially surprised because it was over two and a half hours, I believe, around there. And it really, like, while I feel like it didn't need that full runtime, it I never felt disengaged. Um, I think that even the sexual violence in this, I felt like was necessary and felt very interesting. I was in, despite the fact that I feel like I knew what was going on from the get go, I was kind of interested to see what happened. I also found it kind of unusual that it's probably one of the only films we've covered on the podcast to not have any real horror in it. There are some occasional snippets and scenes of almost dreamlike horror of something happening, but you don't, not sure if it's even real until at least the end. And I think that that really says something to the fact that you still felt that tension and that level of, of it's scary throughout the movie. That's what I find so interesting about Rosemary's Baby is that I find it so creepy and I can't put my finger on why, really. Like, I don't know what it is about the movie that creeps me out so much because there's really not that much that happens in the movie from like a, you know, like a traditional like scenes of building tension uh, you know, uh, red herring scares, jump scares, like nothing that you would traditionally associate with like tension building and horror. But I just, I, for just something about the movie that it's like creeps me out like deeply. And I really, even having seen it twice now, I just really can't put my finger on why that is, but I just have to attribute it to, I guess just being like a really excellently made film is I guess what it boils down to. Travis, what do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the most like interesting aspect of this movie is like the mystery element. And, um, I think you may lose a little bit of that on a rewatch. Um, but to your point of it just being like horrific, even though, nothing really that horrific happens in it. Um, yeah, I think that's partly due to, yeah, the direction. I mean, there are, there's some pretty striking imagery in it, like the dream mm -hmm. sequence. And then towards the end, there's some as well. And then like her eating like uncooked meat is kind of disturbing. But beyond that, I mean, oh, there's yeah. not much like striking imagery or like horrific stuff going on. Um, but also I think it just like, how like pure and innocent she seems and then like the way everyone is trying to like dictate or direct her decisions or even just like her life in general I, 
you like just kind of feel bad for her and like i think that all plays into it you know just like not being horrific but just like feeling bad (laughs) (laughs) so i think it kind of boils down to like a sense of claustrophobia almost because there's so many situations where she is like on the right track to getting help and it's like there's you know finally somebody is going to listen to her and help her and then it just turns out you know like the doctor for example when she goes back to the doctor you think like oh finally she's found someone that's going to help her and then in walks her husband and dr saperstein you know what i mean like there's just so many moments where it's just like you really are rooting for her because part of the part of the interesting thing i think you guys both mentioned mystery I mean, from the audience's perspective, there's really not a whole lot of mystery to be uncovered. I mean, we know, maybe not know explicitly, but I mean, the whole, like, Satan, you know, raping her and it being the spawn of Satan, like, that's pretty heavily implied before it's made explicit in the end, you know, like. Yeah, Yeah, but but up up to the end, you're not sure if that's just Yeah, part of it, you think she's crazy. Yeah, like. I, I, I valid between, okay, is this, cause, because we have scenes before that where she has these crazy dreams, right? And so it's it's hard to tell, is this just a dream she had? Is she being paranoid and the whole thing is in her head? Or is this really happening where she was really raped by the devil and she's having a demon baby? Like, that's crazy. I wonder if my previous viewing of the film, like, because uh, like i i had obviously i remembered like the the basics of the plot from the first time i had seen it but the whole time i was watching it i never i never once doubted her perspective so i at least on this rewatch there was no moment where i was like is it real is it not like i always knew she was right and maybe that's part of the reason why I found it so interesting because I like I had alluded to how this movie is like kind of like gaslighting the movie because it's like every time she brings up some sort of concern, it's always written off as just being like, oh, no, it's fine. It'll go away in a couple days. Your pain's going to go away. You, you know, this is good for you. Drink this up. Like there was no point at, at no point did I ever question what happened to her. And maybe well, that's just me not remembering you know, like deep down remembering what happens in the movie, but not fully recognizing it. Maybe. I don't know. I I, I didn't have yeah. that perspective watching it. Well, and I think in addition to what you're saying is the movie is pretty iconic or, you know, has a pretty big reputation. So like you could maybe assume or even predict that it is going on, you know, having not even seen it just because you know of its reputation. That's fair too. Yeah. I mean, I think that's hard to say. Sorry. Well, uh, real quick, Paris, I was just going to say, I think, I think you're probably right, Travis, because I think they make kind of a big deal out of that sequence towards the end of the movie where she finds the secret compartment in the, in the, uh, the armoire or whatever. And like walks Mm -hmm. into the apartment and they're just like, you know, basically celebrating and the fucking Satan baby is in the, in the, uh, the rocker, like they made, that's where it becomes explicit that they're like a, you know, satanic cult of witches basically. So I, I think you're right in that you probably are meant to like question her reliability. Maybe it's just, I don't know. 
I don't it's really just know. hard to if you've seen it or just you know knowing its reputation. I just yeah, I think it's just kind of like embedded into the movie. Unfortunately, maybe. And I also think it's probably a a lot different for us watching this movie in 2022 compared to then, where it's like, you know, the whole trope of the hysteric woman was probably a lot more prevalent in the 60s, where it's like, right. you know, we haven't had this whole, you know countercultural not countercultural but like you know there's been a conversation around um you know a movement believing ex- women yeah believing women when they say that something horrible has happened to them you know what i mean so like maybe it's really interesting like that's part of the reason why i find this movie so interesting so many years later is looking at it through that lens and that's also part of the reason why it's like makes you feel kind of skeeved out when you know she gets drugged with moose and then, you know, she gets raped by the devil. You know, it's mouse. like <laughs> chocolate. My, mouse. Excuse me. Mouse. Right. Chocolate mouse. <laughs> <laughs> but this movie is like, it's kind of funny, too. Right. Like I was kind oh, yeah. of struck Ruth by Gordon how funny the movie is. Pretty great in it. <laughs> <laughs> the scene. This is kind of off topic, but the scene where she's serving cake and like she's like in conversation with guy and she's like trying to feed him another piece while or like serving him up another piece while she's eating her own cake. Like, Oh my she, God. <laughs> that it's whole it's hilarious scene. watching her <laughs> do that. So much. Yeah. That was really good. Just the way she's like smacking her lips and like licking her fingers and cutting the cake. It's, I don't know. She's really good. That's <laughs> like in a comedic way. Uh-huh. I wonder, I wonder if, her cutting her hair plays differently for us than it did then too. Cause like, well, so apparently that was, so I didn't know this before going in. This was the first watch for me. And I didn't know that Rosemary's baby was based on a novel. And apparently it was very, very, very accurate to the novel. Like there was only a few very minor things that was changed. And that was in the novel as well. And I think that, having that transformation at first it was like why does this even matter but i think of the time like i think you were about to say is it meant so much more to have a a standard american you know housewife to soon to be mother to cut all of her hair off and sort of do this very radical thing you know and her husband hates it yeah, well, this was right. I mean, this is right at the turn of the decade. So it was like the, the hippie movement was like, you know, the whole peace and love revolution was ongoing, like Vietnam was ongoing. So there was this element of like, I feel like that sh- she cuts it off to like, oh, it's it's in vogue, you know, it's very European. But I think all especially the men and the older women like very much looked down upon her for doing that. You know what I mean? Whereas, like, we would view well, it as, like, you know, it, it's empowering. Whereas then it's, like, I don't really know how it would be viewed. Like, she's losing her mind I or, I don't know. <laughs> that's right around the same time that she starts to really have, like, that awful pain. And everyone keeps telling her how bad she looks. And how, like, she just looks like she is dying and how awful she looks. And I think that there is probably a correlation between that and the haircut to be, like, she might think it's because she looks different, but really it's because she looks sick mm-hmm. and, and people are worried about her. Like even, 
I thought it was really interesting that you kind of talked about the, uh, also the, like, uh, isolation of it, too, because, like, her friends are the most, like, hey, we're really worried about you. Having a pain that much is not what should be happening, and it's not until she hangs out with her friends and has that party, which no one wants her to have, that, mm -hmm. like, she really starts to be like, okay, something is seriously wrong here. Yeah, totally. Like, that's, I think that that sequence of events the way it's constructed is just so masterful because leading up to that scene that party scene she's looking rough like she's very thin mm -hmm. they're they're she's constantly con you know questioning like you know i i'm 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 losing weight but i'm being told that's common her eyes are like sunken and she's got like shadows under her eyes and that party scene is the first time where it's like her friends are like seriously worried for her and they literally like i can't remember who's trying to enter the room i think it might be I think it might be her husband but like one of the girls like has to like hold the door shut because someone's trying yeah. to like get in there and interrupt and they're like rosemary you need to see this other doctor like that guy's a quack basically is some something <laughs> to that effect like fuck this doctor basically and like that kicks off the sequence of events where you like okay we're getting somewhere she's gonna get the help she needs and then you're just like it just takes the wind out of your sails so much when she's just like oh like it's just all it's almost like the whole world is out to get Rosemary. And I think that's part of what makes the movie so unsettling. You know what I mean? It's like she just can't escape this reality she finds herself in. Mm -hmm. Totally. And actually, and it seems, <laughs> yeah, no. Um, <laughs> no, I thought it was really interesting because at the beginning of the movie, I watched this with Kurt and he really he thought it's it, all the people always trying to get into her apartment and always inviting her over. And she has very little like say in what she does. He said that reminded him of mother. And I hadn't thought of that, but I feel like that's you know what? very. Yeah. Um, mother was the movie I was going to potentially pair with Rosemary's baby. But then I, I could totally see that. I decided against it. Partly because Paris recently watched Mother and I didn't necessarily want her to have to watch it again or, you know, be like a month or two removed. And we did a feature on Mother on the main line when it came out. So, mm -hmm. you know. That could have been, sure. been good. Maybe I, uh, I, next time your I imagination comes into play, you know, give in, <laughs> give into it instead of defaulting to <laughs> director double feature. But, yeah, uh, I don't, I don't fault I you have, for it. I have yet no, I, to rewatch Mother since the theater, but I am anxious. <sighs> I watched that, I think, with... Was that with you, Matt? Like, initially? Together? Like, when it came out? Yeah, in theaters. I think so. I think we saw it together at yeah. Pacific Place, and, I think, of all places. Yeah, which was years <laughs> and years and years ago, and I watched it pretty recently with Kurt, and he was like, what the fuck? And I was like, I've been waiting to show this to you. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like that feeling of of uh, claustrophobia and of not being able to have a say in your own home or what you're doing or where you're going and all kind of being trapped there, it definitely has the similar themes for sure. Mm -hmm. um, also, this movie just more than ever made me want to go back and watch every John Cassavetes movie. Like every time I've seen him in anything, I'm like, man, John Cassavetes rules. 
But I've is I've seen he, what else is he in? Well, he was he is like the godfather of like independent cinema. So like in the late sixties and through the seventies, he was making a lot of like like a woman under the influence. Um why is that the only John Cassavetes movie? I Husbands. Husbands was one. He did a lot with uh, Gina Rowland and um, he had like a couple like muses, I guess you could say. Shadows, I think was him. Um, but anyway, That's he great. was like, he was one of the first Hollywood Wasn't guys. was he in uh, Mikey and Nikki too? Yes. Isn't he one of the two? He is. Yeah. It's him and uh, Peter Falk, um, which that movie rules, by the way. Um but yeah, John Cassavetes, he was one of the the very early Hollywood guys who like found success as an actor in like mainstream Hollywood and used the money that he made to produce like his own films. Like really provocative, interesting, like independently made movies. So he was like kind of one of the like he's considered one of the most influential like filmmakers. Um uh, especially when it comes to independent cinema, because he like kind of helped pioneer American independent cinema. S- yeah, cinema. I think there's Jesus cinema. I think it's the cinema. Spirit cinema. Awards. Maybe there's a John Cassavetes. The John Cassavetes Award. Award. Yeah, I don't really know what it like. Is that for just like the like biggest indie badass or something? I don't really know what it. <laughs> it's like their version of like the Lifetime um, Achievement Award. I think. I'm not sure exactly. I thought it was just maybe like the best indie film of that year oh, you're for right. those awards. Because uh, my boy won it for Cresha, Trey Edward Schultz. <laughs> Your boy. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no one else is claiming him, so <laughs> I can't. <laughs> yeah, but he, I mean, he was in a on your Rushmore, so. Right. Oh, my God. I can't believe you put him on your Rushmore. Sick callback. But yeah, anyways, I've seen him in some things and he's he's a really interesting cuz he's he's got that like gruff like Hollywood leading man vibe, but there's like something kind of dangerous about him, you know what I mean? Like Matt's got the hot. Seems like you're right, you know, he probably rides like a motorcycle or something, you know. <laughs> oh, do you mean like maybe he rides a Yamaha like the fucking product placement? <sighs> Yamaha, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Where he was literally in the commercial, I could not. I was like, did they have product placement in the 60s the answer is a hard yes (laughs) yeah that was good shit um but yeah he was really good mia farrow is amazing in this movie too we haven't even talked about her she's so good in this movie really everybody like across the board performances are are great even even some of the like not so great performances like feel very um like who's What's her name? The, the the gram not the grandma the lady the the neighbors the the old lady Ruth Gordon yes Ruth Gordon I wouldn't she necessarily was great. well I, I yes she's great I don't know if I would describe her performance as like I think didn't she win an I mean, Oscar for that performance she was yeah she was chewing the scenery but I felt like she was supposed to be that's kind of she's supposed I was to feel for, like yeah. that old Jewish grandma that like lives in your building that wants you to do everything with her that can't cook that felt like a very accurate uh portrayal and less of a less of an overreach i think than maybe you're thinking well no i think i think you're right i think i'm more so was just like she she is doing the most you know like every Mm -hmm. opportunity she has she she she's fucking doing it 
I, I yes, don't necessarily mean it was a bad thing. I just maybe it was more so she's and just furthermore, like, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> she was just like she was a lot, I guess I'll say. And not in a bad I mean, way. That, that cake sequence I mentioned, she's definitely acting in that scene. Yes. <laughs> I mean, she's doing the most, but I love it. Like I, I don't have any qualms with her overacting there. I mean, I, I guess everybody's kind of doing that in this movie. I mean, even Mia Farrow to an extent. Um but um so the first time i watched this movie the scene that stood out to me the most was definitely the uh i don't know rape scene i guess like the dream sequence the dream sequence well when she drinks the mouse when she eats the mouse and it's played like a dream sequence i mean she's literally laying in bed and she's like in a body of water like Yes, and she describes, she says, I dreamt I was being raped, and she has scratch marks on her back. Well, I think that is less, I don't think it plays like a dream sequence. I think more so it plays like a a drug-fueled, like, because clearly it's, it's meant to put into question what we're actually seeing, right? And she does explicitly say, oh, I had a dream. Did she dream it, or did it happen? I mean, clearly well, it, it happened. Did, we know it happened. Well, the yeah, the but yeah, what? <laughs> but while you're watching, no, but while you're watching it, you don't totally. know that necessarily, especially I, if it's the I first agree time. With you. Yeah, yeah, no, one hundred percent. This was my first watch, and it was definitely left ambiguous. Although I will say, her having scratches like that immediately, I was like, oh, I thought her husband raped her. I didn't think that it was the devil. I thought that the demonic forces or something were coming about by like her dumb tannic fruit thing and like the drink and all that other stuff. It wasn't until the end that they were like, yep, you literally, the devil had sex with you. And she was like, oh no, that I was like, all right, confirmed. Yeah. Well, she also, she doesn't really feel empowered to like question the events. Like she makes a comment, uh, John Cassavetti's character mentions like the next morning, he mentions he's like, oh yeah, you know, I uh, I got in there when you were uh, passed out. <laughs> so, you know? Okay, which also I was like, what the fuck? He My plays guy? it off like, so nonchalant. And but and you but you can tell like it's like when she hides when she's eating the chocolate mousse, she can tell it tastes bad. She says to him it tastes bad. He all of a sudden gets really upset, like she needs to eat it. Why? No one's going to be offended. There's no one else there, right? Mm-hmm. So she's already weirded out and she hides it from him. It That felt very much like the same thing with the rape scene where he's like, yeah, sorry, I definitely boned you last night. My bad. I know you were passed out. And she's like, what? It felt yeah. the same where, where she didn't feel confident enough in the relationship to be like, I mean, what he's- the fuck? He's riding a fine line the entire time because he's always like he keeps getting presented these scenarios where he has to like lie or make her believe something that, you know, isn't true or whatever. And I I think or yeah, the writing or the character or whatever, I think they do a pretty good job of like doing that where he is able to like diffuse her without making it obvious, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's his whole thing, and that's part of the reason why I yeah. like his performance so much. Because he's like, "Don't eat it," and then she's, uh, then she's like, "Oh no, 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 I will eat it." Like he he's not always he's not always like forcing her. He 
he like right. plays he it off in a way. He knows how to play into yes. her need, her wanting to be good for him, which was like, also ple- kind well, of like, uh, but a, felt very. Real. A big part of this movie is like her just wanting to like please everyone around her, like to a detriment to herself. Oh yeah, and, especially her husband. Yeah, mm-hmm. husband and the neighbors. Like she doesn't want to do it, but she goes along with it anyways, just to like be polite or just to please whoever and. Yeah, it's to her detriment, but... <laughs> well, and he he also says exactly what she wants to hear. Like, she, he'll say things like, oh, baby, I know I've been gone so much. I'm, a, I'm such a bad... I'm a bad husband, but I promise you I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna take more time for us and, like... I'm gonna put a baby in Classic bad husband. Yeah. <laughs> He's like... I know we're having kind... issues, but let's have a kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's always, like, kind kind of trying to take accountability but never actually taking accountability you know and Mm -hmm. that's like that's his whole thing because he's reaping the benefits of selling his child to this cult you know what i mean it's really interesting like at the end where he's like they're doing so much for us and it was like is it doing so much for you both or is it doing so much for you as the husband where she has to go through all of this fucking trauma while not being told she's giving birth to a demon baby, telling her her baby was lost. And then, oh, at the end, it'll be fine because I'm going to be doing well. Like, ugh, I, ugh. Well, it's so gross. It is very gross. And that also probably plays differently at that time, too, because, you know, there was still very right. much, uh, you know, we're in the, on the heels of like you know the 50s nuclear family woman stays at home and and cooks and cleans like we society was really starting to kind of open up and women were starting to like you know have their own jobs and I- identity outside of their home life more but it was still very much a like you know the fact that he it, I guess it reads as bullshit more to a modern audience where him saying it's for us baby you know like to us that might come across as you know horseshit but at the time that the film was made like it's maybe a but little bit more uh... even within the film you're supposed to think that you're supposed to feel like yeah, oh, yeah. it's for us but she has had to basically they are reaping the benefits even if you think of it in that way not just him but she had to go through all that she is the one that had to experience the negative side while they quote-unquote reap the benefits and i think even at that time you're still supposed to feel that way yes yes totally i agree and what did you guys think of the very end of the movie where she is like they, they make a comment about how you know you're still it's you're still the mother rosemary and she like it ends with her looking at the crib, basically, you know? Yeah, they, they they basically say that they they still need her as the mother and, like, that is still your child, but it is our baby. <laughs> but I'm, I'm more well, so just mean, like, from her perspective, how do you guys read how she's feeling? Because I kind of felt like we're supposed to read that as her being, like, conflicted in the sense of, like, oh, yeah. you're right, that is my baby, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that it's interesting how most of the cult kind of almost is in reverence of her. Like she is the Mary, you know, the Virgin Mary uh, to this satanic baby. But it is it's kind of wild how at the end she kind of almost gives in like Matt, like what you're talking about. Like, it seems like she sort of gives into this like 
yeah, this is my baby, and I love this baby no matter what. I it's found like that a maternal more instinct. interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes, I actually found that more interesting than her not doing that. I found that very like kind of fucked up, but in a cool way, like in a way where it, like it feels like she was like. Like, she is is almost accepting of the situation because she did give birth to this thing, even though it's not the baby that she would have wanted or loved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, also, like, what's the alternative? Like, is there an alternate ending where she just, like, goes crazy and ends up in a psych ward? Like, who's going to believe that she gave birth to the spawn of Satan? You know what I mean? Like, Right. It's almost like she has to give in to it. Right. Which is all, which is kind of uh horrific in and of itself right that she is like again trapped by these circumstances and it's it's fucked up um also i had forgotten that the movie made this choice but you don't ever see the baby like they make it seem like you're gonna show it smart i think that was a smart choice given the era i think that there's no way that i think in all horror movies i think it's leaving something hidden for as long as possible or in this case forever i think is always going to be more impactful than showing it because it never is going to quite live up to how i picture my head how you two picture it in your head which is the most horrific thing possible Mm -hmm. right and the fact that they they slip in a little detail where she sees the baby and she's like his eyes what's wrong with his eyes and you think that, like, you know, the movie's going to end with, like, you know, it looks like a normal baby, but it's got black eyes or something, you know? But it's it's left up to your imagination. And I just find that so much more interesting because they – she confirms that there's something fucked up about this baby, right? Like she mentions the fact that, yeah. like – They even say the hands and the feet, too, which I assumed were – like, the feet were, like – Right. So yeah. So then, do you picture? Yeah, you picture like fucking goat's feet, or you know, it's like a like a Baphomet type thing, or it's just like. But it would be worse if you if you see it. I think you're right that leaving that unspoken, you know, they say like the unknown is the most horrific thing. You know, whatever the fucking saying is, but like what you can't see is is scarier than just leaving it up to your imagination because you can fill in the blank yourself and you can make it as fucked up or you know as innocuous as you want as your imagination wants it to be so i I thought that was pretty cool too very nice okay well other thoughts anything else we want to say about rosemary's baby um a couple random things the pink cursive title font at the beginning amazing drive-esque what about that? <laughs> what about that theme that's at the beginning and the end? The, oh la, yeah, the, la, the, la, the lullaby. La, la. Amazing. Well, she yeah. literally is Good singing shit. "la la la," and I couldn't. I busted up laughing every time. Did you? It seems. Yeah. Some I mean, it, it seems kind of silly, but it. I don't it's, know. It's really effective for. Within the movie, I, I don't know. It just kind of like, it creates like a sense of like uneasiness, like right away. Mm-hmm. I so liked I think it. Yeah. Part of the reason why it made me laugh so much is I've heard that parodied so many times that I didn't think that that was a real thing. You know, <laughs> I, I, and and to hear it, I, I could only think of the parodies, and it just killed me. I laughed both times. Yeah, on screen. <laughs> it's kind of like watching Scream, having seen Scary Movie or something. You know, it's just like 
yeah. you can't help but like <laughs> think of the parody version of it. Right. Yeah. I uh, wanted to mention two other things before we go. One is just real quick. The outfits in this, the, the fashion design in this is phenomenal. The costuming is amazing and i was here for every every moment of rosemary every every other character so good Mm -hmm. one costume in particular when she goes out christmas shopping did anyone else get huge carol vibes yes big time rooney oh yeah (laughs) yeah. (laughs) i wonder if that was like part of yeah i don't know if that was specifically a nod to to rosemary's baby (laughs) it might be i mean they're set in the same pretty similar right well, Carol's in the fifties, I think. Yeah, and this I think is you're in the, right. this is sixty six, I think, was is when Rosemary's Baby takes. But place. like the little yeah. bonnet and the color scheme, like it yep. was pretty it spot on. So yeah, it looked just <laughs> like her. Yeah. So the only other thing I wanted to touch on was a something I came upon when I was looking, doing some research into it, and according to Mia Farrow, the scene where she's pregnant and she walks in front of traffic was real that was not uh like the cars were not part of the film set apparently um you know rp is reported to have told her that quote nobody will hit a pregnant woman and um it was successfully shot with her walking into real traffic and him following operating the handheld camera since he was the only one that was willing to follow after her the classic polanski the shithead <laughs> anything for I art think, right well i think we sounds talked like about something a couple, friedkin would do yeah right i think we've talked about a couple other directors on this podcast Aronofsky. who have done yeah who've done crazy things like behind the scenes to try to like make things like put put their actors in danger for the sake of the film and i just thought that was interesting that like of course something of this time had that and fucking poor, poor Mia Farrow. I mean, she worked with Roman Polanski. She was fucking married to Woody Allen for a decade okay. plus. Like, Her adopted daughter is now married to Woody Allen. Yeah. Can like, we just, like, poor Mia Farrow, truly. What a life. <laughs> she was also married to uh, Frank Sinatra. Yeah, supposedly Bri- very briefly, he, he yeah. served her uh, divorce papers on the set of this film. They were only married for about two years, and this was mm-hmm. kind of the ticket. He was like, I don't want you to do this. And she was well, like, I'm gonna. I, and then he divorced her. Yeah, and on top of that, I think he had a movie come out, and it didn't do as well. And she was supposed to be in that movie, but she decided to do Rosemary's Baby instead. So after the success of rosemary's baby he's like fuck you (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah honestly good choice for her because i don't even know of frank sinatra being in a movie and this is one of like the top movies of all time i think he's in the first oceans movie like the og oceans 11 but i don't know what else he did i think that's all i really know but i've never seen it does that sound right matt yeah he did he did a handful of films i don't think i've seen the rat pack yeah, Sinatra. Let me see. I've got his. Uh, I got his wiki, wiki pulled up here. He was in the Manchurian Candidate. Hmm. That's the original. Thing. Yeah, he was the main character in uh, the Manchurian Candidate. That's a pretty big deal, I guess. Um, yeah, for sure. What else does Jabroni do? Also, um, real quick, while you're looking at that, Matt. Um, back to Aronofsky and Mother. 
uh, Aronofsky had to been had to have been inspired by Rosemary's Baby because he totally ripped off the poster for Mother. Or Wait, for Rosemary's Baby. Is sorry. that the Rosemary's like, Baby poster? He ripped off the Rosemary's Baby poster. For like the one Mother. where Jennifer Lawrence looks all soft and like look looking looking away. It's like no, it's just like mostly a picture of her head, but she's like looking up, just like the poster of Rosemary's Baby. But there's a house instead of a baby carriage. Oh, I don't. You know that's not about? the post. No, that's not the poster I associate with Mother. I think of the one where she's like, she's no, looking but I'm just at, saying, uh, like softly away, right? And she's yeah, but like I'm just saying this poster of Mother is very reminiscent of the Rosemary's Baby poster. No, I get what you're saying. I just don't know. I don't know the poster you're talking about because the poster I'm thinking of does right, not I'm look like that at all. Jabronis. Okay, so I'm looking at all the different mother posters. And, oh, are you talking about the one where there's a house and she's facing up and it's yes. orange? Oh, okay. I have never seen this poster before. Nor have I. But that that's is That's literally a nod Rosemary's Baby. Because that's, that's <laughs> Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, that, that poster is Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> I have never seen that one. And see, no. the interesting thing is the Rosemary's Baby poster, that is the one I think of. But, like, when I think of mother... I think of the one where she is like looking kind holding of a heart. Her, yeah. She's yeah. holding a heart and it's like illustrated and yes. it's her own heart and there's a bunch yes. of flowers around her. Yes. Yeah. That's, I think, I think the, main... uh, yes. the one I'm referencing is maybe version C. <laughs> yes, I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. Cause B is probably the one that's just her face, but she's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> God, how fucking good is that mother poster though? I love that poster. The one where she's holding the heart? Yeah, dude. Aronofsky's a genius. <laughs> I'm sure he was not the Pretty one good. behind. I mean, That's minus Mark- his one slip that, of Black Swan, you know? That and, is the... Okay, uh, shut up. That, that was the marketing <laughs> department behind the... First of all, behind the poster. Aronofsky had nothing to do with that. No way. He's not a tour, dude. He's, his his oh, fingerprints yeah. are all over everything. He probably painted that fucking picture. I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> All right, let's, we need to stop talking. Shut up! Yeah. <laughs> um, Rosemary's Baby, Travis. You had said you had a couple of things. Were there was there more that you wanted to mention? Uh, no, I think I touched on all of them actually. Fuck yeah! All right, stars. Let's hear um Rosemary's Baby. Where'd you guys land? Four point five. Hell yeah! This is kind of tough for me. First time I watched it, it gave it a four and a half. Second time I watched it, it gave it a five. This is now the third time I've watched it, and I want to go back to 4.5. But part of me, after this conversation, wants to go back up to 5. Me too, kind Do of. It. Yeah. Well, because I, originally I was a 4.5. I, I logged this as a 4.5. Um, I don't know. I, I'm going to stick with 4.5, I think. I, I didn't mention this, but... This is a slow burn movie. I think Paris yeah, said let's it. Let's like get into bored, let's get into like, the the point five. Why why we we're not giving it the yeah. full five? I'm not giving it a full five because, like Matt said, it while I was engaged the whole time, it did not need to be as long as it was. It could have cut at least thirty minutes out and been fine. Here's the thing: I'm thinking about it, and I don't have. I mean, obviously, I could play the you know, Polanski raped a child card, but that's not fair to the movie, you know. Mm-hmm. Is it? So It is a little bit. A little bit, especially because, you know, Rosemary is 
drugged and raped, but no, you know what? I'm going to stick with the 4.5. And it's, also it's, Travis um... made us watch these movies. God. Yeah. Half a star deduction <laughs> for being forced to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I will stick with the 4.5 as well. And my reasoning is I think like what I touched on earlier in the review, just like, part of the mystery being gone on rewatch, even though that's not necessarily fair. And then I also think like the last 30 to 45 minutes or so is a little like slow or not as interesting as the first like hour and a half. I mean, the ending is great, but I just feel like once she starts figuring shit out and it like becomes obvious what's going on, it's just a little bit less interesting and that's where I started to feel its length a little bit was like the last, you know, 30 to 45 minutes before the actual like finale. Yeah. Basically once, once the movie kind of takes its foot off the gas a little bit and she like starts to feel better. Cause there's like a clear turning point where she like stops drinking the, the stuff. And then it basically like kind of flash forwards a little bit to her looking much healthier. And she actually has like a baby bump and, like from that moment through like basically the climax of the movie, I find the, the least interesting aside from, yeah. you know, her going to that doctor and, you know, like I th- the a good example is I, th- I think the Scrabble scene is a cool idea, but I watching the scene, I'm, I'm not like riveted or like, it's not like a huge reveal for me when she like figures out the name and all that. Oh, like, it yeah. could play better. I feel like, yeah, like it, it's a cool setup, and I like the imagery of like her scattering the pieces around and like you know moving around and stuff. But I don't know. It just ultimately wasn't that satisfying of a scene. I think it's because the the breadcrumbs are so obvious, you know, because they're like they make the comment of you know Adrian Mercado lived here. Some crazy stuff has happened here. Adrian <laughs> Mercado did you know eight children here or whatever. Oh, have you heard of Adrian Mercado? Like. <laughs> five fucking times early in the movie you know so it's like when that revelation happens it's like oh duh fucking steven mercado or whatever like i totally hadn't thought about that but i definitely felt it while i was watching it i was like really like we're gonna we're gonna show her doing six different anagrams of like hmm the cat ate the cupcake that's not it there's gotta be something else here uh (laughs) hotels are dirty Mm, that can't be it you know like whatever it is like (laughs) and i was like god damn when is she gonna solve this thing i had forgotten about the the scrabble scene (laughs) thank you for bringing that up (laughs) oh fuck all right Uh, oh um oh no we all gave stars i'm 4.5 across the board we were pretty. We were all pretty much on the same page for for these two movies. For Polanski, yeah, <laughs> Polanski page. No, if we're rating Polanski, zero out of out of five stars. <laughs> <laughs> zero out of ten stars. Zero out of a hundred. Right. Stars. So let's hear your art stars and your artist <laughs> oh, <no>. stars. <laughs> as a, as a human being, I give him zero stars. But his his films separately from that deserve to be seen separately. So uh, Homeboy made you know he he made some good movies. I guess. A fuck. A fucking. Apparently, that's honestly really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Paris, uh, have you ever seen Chinatown? Matt, I'm assuming you've seen Chinatown. No, Still and I've been seen wanting to. What? Since Neither of you have seen Chinatown? So I always, when I was younger, I got little trouble in Big China and Chinatown nope. confused. <laughs> right. <laughs> I got those movies confused all the time. It's big so trouble. So I thought in I had China. already. That's Not what they said, right? I thought you said Little China and Big Trouble. <laughs> 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 Whatever I said. Was Whatever. that China? Was that China's sex tape? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Big trouble in Little China. I Big trouble. That that... Oh my God, you guys! Big, ch- Big trouble. Big trouble in Little Tina. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Matt, cut all of this out. I can't. I can't. Oh guys. Cannot. Whatever. I thought they were the same movie. Shut up. I was gonna. Uh, no, I can't make the joke. No, I have That's, to make the joke. I was gonna say that to. was Polanski's sex tape. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I shouldn't. Have, I shouldn't have made the joke. I Matt literally don't even stars. know what to say to that, Matt. Yeah, you. You get zero stars. <laughs> Travis is still at like a four point five, and you have zero oh, stars right now. I thought I, I was at like a point five. Four point five. Wait, are you doing? 10 or is that is travis a 4.5 you'll never know because i'm you'll never know oh my god maybe it's out of 100 4.5 away either from way five. matt either way matt you're at a zero so <sighs> well you know we have fun here right guys that we do apparently All right, matt, you got your next uh picks lined up i sure do so i will say originally i was going to do Dawn of the Dead and Zombie Two, and actually, I so Travis, do you have original Dawn of the Dead on your Voodoo by any chance? Uh, probably not. I have it on DVD. I got a pretty cool DVD box mm. set with like four different uh, versions of it. But DVD, yuck. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's kind of embarrassing. So I'm. We're not gonna do that. That was my original plan, but then I realized that Dawn of the Dead doesn't stream anywhere and hasn't really ever just because I guess like the distribution rights to that film are like completely fucked. Um, So instead of, I wanted to stick with the zombie thing. So instead of doing those, I'm going with like new school zombie flicks. So there's a new, both of these films are on shutter. There's a new horror zombie film called the sadness, which I've heard described as being like the most fucked up violent, zombie movie ever so immediately i was on board so the sadness and i'm going to pair that with another relatively recent zombie film called uh one cut of the dead which i think you saw travis did you ever catch up with one cut of the dead i did actually um has it been a while though I watched it January twelfth, twenty twenty. So yeah, it's been okay. Two so and it's years. it's been long enough that I don't feel bad making you what? watch it. What? Okay. Where are these guys streaming? Shutter. Both of them are on Shutter. Maybe other places as well. But uh, the sadness is a Shutter original. One cut of the dead actually might be a, a Shutter original as well. I don't know if it got picked up anywhere else, but uh, they are two horror zombie films one cut of the dead is a japanese film and the sadness is a taiwanese production directed by a canadian go figure so the sadness and uh, one cut of the dead will be the next double feature is the theme just like zombies 
just zombies, you know. It was going to be uh, like OG zombies, but, you know, George A. Romero fucked me hard, so. Okay, before we go, I know we don't usually do this, but I watched a movie recently that I need to talk to you guys about, but, like, especially Travis. Okay. But because I know he has seen it. Mm. So, recently, um, I watched The Skin I Live In. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Almodovar film. Matt, yes. you've never seen that? I've never seen that one. Uh-uh. Wow. I'm the Almodovar guy, but I have, I have not seen that. That movie is wild. Uh, yes. I. Okay. So I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To put one, it lightly. One, one sentence review that movie was wild. But truly, like, I watched this with a friend of the podcast, Jess. And she came over, and neither of our partners, well, her partner specifically, doesn't really watch horror films. So she was like, let's watch a horror film. So we did. And she had been recommended this. And about halfway through i was like super bored i was like mad at jess's friend for recommending it because i was like what the (laughs) fuck are we even doing here this is boring and dumb and then it all connected and i was shooketh i'm not going to give anything away because i think this is something i gave it four stars i think that this movie is absolutely fucking bananas and everyone who's interested in horror should watch it I will say there is quite a bit of sexual violence in it in lots of different ways. And I think that, you know, so be warned if that affects you like it does me because apparently I can't fucking escape it. But um, (laughs) yeah, you can't blame that one on us either. It's just everyone's trying (laughs) to subject you to That's what I'm saying. I think low key, I'm like, is all horror sexual violence. That's a conversation for a different day. But uh, I will say, Matt, if you haven't watched this, watch it it sounds like you're a fan of the director too oh big time big time oh okay so travis maybe you can speak on that more because i'm not familiar with the director's other works but this movie was holy shit banana pants would watch 10 out of 10 would watch again having not seen it i know it's kind of an outlier in a sense in his in his filmography i mean he's never shied away from like provocative material by any means um, but that one I know is like more explicitly like horror, you know, horror adjacent kind of, um, I will vow to do my best to watch it before, uh, we record next, whether it's next digest or, uh, next mainline episode, Please if we're do. still, if that's still the plan. Yeah. Um, you gotta watch it. I, I mean, it's, it's been on the list for a long time. It's just, it's not the most accessible movie how did you watch it paris did you rent it yeah i rented it from amazon prime it was like four dollars but i you know follow in travis's footsteps and get uh what are they called promos yeah promotional credits so prime day delivery or whatever yeah it literally cost me 49 cents so well four dollars is chump change so i'm just yeah i mean it was it would have been worth the four dollars truly i think the blu-ray might be out of print i'm on blu-ray.com and it says it says new from 81.95 so that usually means it's out of print yeah those prices are astronomical that's brutal 
Yeah, I'll have to steal a copy. Matt, I think you'll like it. And honestly, anyone else that's listening who, by this point, let's be honest, is probably like three people. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really good. Would highly recommend. Cool. Well, you heard it here, folks. The skin I live in. Jet grip. All right. Let's get out of here. I thought this was going to be our shortest episode ever, and it might end up being our longest ever. Well. It'll, it's a contender that anyway. That can't be right. It's a contender, at least for Digest. Definitely not mainline podcast, but um, very cool. Killer episode, folks. Uh, I want to thank Kurt for producing the theme music for our fine show. Thank you, Kurt. You heard the next picks. We're going to be doing One Cut of the Dead and The Sadness, which you can stream on Shudder, or you can probably rent them somewhere if you're not a Shudder subscriber. Just get into it. Check it out before the next episode. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Stay scared. Uh, fuck. Stay spooky. Wait. What's that line? <laughs> line? Yikes. Line, please? Stay, Stay spooky. Stay spooky, you idiot. <laughs> you know what? Stay spooky. Stay scared. Stay slaying.